Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. madness. This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun. And on three occasions. I done well to survive anyway. Madame Daly will speak. A union which allows fiscal rules to be broken for arms expenditure, not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people. This is evidence of police violence. Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum seeker, nobody deserves to be treated like this. And even having the neck to suggest separating people from their mothers. How dare you? They don't need us to kick them around the place. You could say it's so much. Please, in riot gear, we're trying to... I am ashamed to call myself a the European. recognition of Guaido, elected is an absolute embarrassment. No, you did use the word gobshite, and, sir. Uh, I would re- reprimand you over them. Hello, how's it going? <laughs> Damien's going to tell a joke uh, at my expense. Uh, <laughs> which is, he thinks it's a joke for me as well, but it wasn't a joke for me. Right? It wasn't Tragic. a bit funny. Right? <laughs> but anyway, we'll discuss that later, seemingly. But uh, as for a joke starting off, I've, I've just got a text off my brother, Joseph. He had to send me this joke, and uh, so I'm going to read it out. And he says, Paddy says to me, how did you get on at the Faith Healing Group last night? Mick said, he was absolutely shite. Even the fella in the wheelchair got up and walked out. <laughs> so anyway, there's a joke for Joseph, Joseph Wallace of Wyndham Bridge. <laughs> Can I tell my first. funny story then? Go ahead, yeah. The funny story I wanted to <laughs> make to tell was about him in, in committee on Monday evening. There was a SEDE committee, Security and Defence, and an Environment Committee on at the same time. And as you know, we're doing everything remotely now, so it's all computers and we're following the meetings and intervening. And he had speaking time in both committees. And at the exact same minute, he was asked to speak in both committees. So in Envy, they're saying, Mr. Mick Wallace, can you speak? Touching the microphone, Mr. Mick Wallace. <laughs> Nothing. We're all looking around at each other. I'll, t- I'll tell you the truth down in a minute. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> then a second time they say it. Mr. McWallace, can you speak? Taps the microphone, blah, blah, blah. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then he eventually comes to Envy Committee. His face appears, all innocent. Little curly hair. You could see him there, all lost in the, in the screen. And he starts his speech and he's speaking to a commissioner. So one of the, the, mis- <laughs> the ministers basically in the EU on, on health, Commissioner Kyriakidis, who came to give a two hour exchange of views on health. And he goes on to a nice health speech. He's talking about uh, people's health data and privacy and things like this and about big pharma and access to data. And then he goes into and US imperialism and all the US <laughs> propaganda that's good. <laughs> Goes into half an envy speech and half a, a, seat, a security and defence speech and she's there so listening to this. And her face, I swear to God, this is the commissioner you said that to. Okay, well, <laughs> here's my side of the story, right? That's, that, that's Damien's side of the story. And first of all, I, you should know that Damien was the one who was pressuring me into doing this envy piece, right? <laughs> he was dying for me to do this piece. Um, I know how much you love speaking. Yeah, no. and anyway, but as it turned out, the seat that went on started at nine o'clock in the morning and went on nearly all day. There was about four different sessions of it, right? And uh, But I knew there was going to be a close call between when I was supposed to speak at Envy and when I was supposed to speak at CDEM. I think what I was actually doing, right? I had, I had, I was, I was in the office, so because we're not allowed to go into the room anymore at the moment, right? So I had, I had to see that I'm, I'm the, I'm the computer on my desk, and I had the Envy one on, on the desk of Ushin's desk, the, uh, computer, right? And I was literally for about a half an hour, I was going from one to the other, right? I, I wasn't well, I wasn't, right? and I, I was trying to, I was hoping that I could get to speak on both of them, right? Uh, but 
I'll tell you did. what, I won't, I won't do it again. <laughs> you had one page of one yeah. speech and the other page oh, of the yeah, other so speech. That, 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 and, and obviously, to see the stuff I was very familiar with, and I, actually, I didn't need notes on that, uh, but I needed notes on the Envy stuff because I hadn't actually studied it properly. Anyway, it turned out that the Cedar one started about 20 seconds mm. before the Envy one. So I said to Oisin, I said, I have to start, I have to, start, I have to do the Cedar one, I have to do the Cedar one. I said, you may take me off the, the Envy one. I said, I can't, I can't do the tomb. I'm good, but I'm not that good. Right, so uh, I did the Cedar one, right? And then, and then I said, oh God, I said, that was some madness. And I was even, I didn't even do the Cedar one as well as I should have. Because uh, it was because, all in your head. Because... Uh, the envy one was bothering me, mm. and I was I was confused with the whole thing, and so then then Ocean comes in. Damien was on. They're going to let you back in in the next <laughs> round if you, if you go back onto it now. So I said, really? And he, I said, yeah. He said, put it on here. I'll put it on your TV. He says, I mean, obviously I know nothing about computers except that you can't eat them. And uh, so Ocean uh, gets the envy one on my computer, and I, I start looking at it, and uh, and the chairs there. Um, Mr. Wallace, make Wallace, make what is make Wallace available? And, and anyway, I said, where's my notes? Where's my notes? So I went looking for my notes, right? I found two pages, right? And I started, right? But as it turned out, I only had one of them. So I read, I was reading the notes I was, right? So I read the first page, right? And then I started on the second page, but it belonged to my Cedar notes, right? And I started, I started reading. I mixed it up. To the, uh, but I didn't go in that very far on I knew straight away that I, I said, where the fuck is this? And, and the so, commissioner had no comments, you know? She didn't say anything about US imperialism <laughs> within the realm of health. <laughs> but anyway, I just said, oh, stop, stop, stop. I'm sorry, good luck. And I, I just caught it. <laughs> anyway, Claire, you've had I mean, a rough week as well. It wasn't a bit funny. I was kind of a... a but it does bit. show how difficult those online meetings are. Like, ah, it's yeah, incredibly yeah, frustrating. And a lot of the MEPs are giving out hell, and correctly so. I mean, the national parliaments and regional parliaments in Belgium are still at work there in Ireland as well. And yet we are, you know, kept away from meeting here in a way in which wasn't the case even during the lockdown. So if you're doing everything on computer, it's very difficult to get a, a proper engagement and really dialogue, is, yeah. you know. So well, we've yeah. had foreign affairs all day today. Right. And I'm not exaggerating. Right. But this morning there was a session and two thirds of the people couldn't connect with the committee. Mm. Only one third oh. of the people that were called. Yeah. Um, Press your speaker, please. We can hear you, but we can't see you. Can we, you or we can see you, but on. we can't hear you. <laughs> put this on, do that, but that, but that. Yeah. I, it was absolute nuts. Yeah. I, and I it mean, has this effect as well of all meetings starting at least 15 minutes late because you sign in and it's just people saying, can you hear me, can you hear me, blah, blah, blah. And then everyone starts joining 15 minutes late because they don't want to hear this all the time. Yeah. So we're just always... Crazy. It is no, getting I mean, messy. I mean, I some things work online, right? I mean, uh, if you're in a one-to-one with someone... It actually works fine online, yeah. but it doesn't for the committee. Committee not is not workable people, yeah. uh, on uh, yeah. over the computer. It just does not work. Mm. And also, look at it. When, with normally with a committee, right? You have people coming in before you, and you're challenging them, and you're questioning them, and you're looking at them, right? And they have to look you back with their answer, right? But 
when, when it's a computer, right, they can obviously ignore you, right? Mm. It just isn't the same. You can't hold yeah. people to account Not at a committee when it's viral, when it's uncontrolled. You can't assess their reaction or anything no. and you can't get that sense of affirmation or whether you're hitting, landing a punch or whatever. Yeah. So it's just... But and look, also it's there's so many times where your interventions, not yours necessarily, but people's interventions aren't actually heard, aren't picked yeah. up and there's interference or whatever. There's So commissioners don't even need to listen or don't yeah. just say what they want. Yeah, it is. It's but Claire, you've had a, a funny week this week as well. You've had, well... Well, if, if the translation it. in the dictionary of funny is horrific, yeah, that's been it. All right, yeah. Yeah, um, entertaining. No, I mean, look at it. It was really brought home to me the other night um, how disconnected the European Parliament is. I had the honour of introducing on, an online webinar with a an incredibly talented bunch of Irish people. It's a collected works, an anthology of working class writing prose, short stories uh, from across Ireland, North and South, produced by Culture Matters and the very good Jenny Farrell. But this is an excellent production called From the Plough to the Stars. If people want to get it for their Christmas uh, stocking list or for it's a fantastic read of 50 excellent pieces of authentic working class writing. Really good, really funny, really tragic. And we had this webinar with a lot of the people reading over and it was really gritty. We were crying through half of it, but it, it just landed punches about how difficult life can be for working class people, the trauma, the, but the solidarity and the resilience as well. And I went from that to pick up my phone to find out that a report we'd been working on in the Parliament for the guts of a year, one in which I'm the rapporteur for, which we've had nothing but headaches and bureaucracy from a bunch of disingenuous, ignorant clowns in this place and even their behaviour, which up to that point had been appalling, went a step lower when they were manoeuvring behind the scenes to censor and expunge uh, an explanatory statement to the report that I'm the rapporteur for um, because they didn't like some of the wording in it, even though the long-standing tradition and the rules of the parliament are that the explanatory statement is the property of the rapporteur. It's not voted on. Mm. It has to accord with the motion, but it doesn't. Uh, the, what that means to me is it can't contradict the motion. So it doesn't have to say everything that's in the motion. Mm. You can comment on the motion as long as you don't pretend that there's something in your statement that's not in the report, which I didn't do. But unfortunately, one of the Spanish shadows that we work with, one of the Catalan MEPs had tweeted that the report had passed committee and great day, sort of implying that it vindicated the Catalan independent struggle, which it actually doesn't mention that at all. It mentions the breach of fundamental rights of parliamentarians being in prison for holding a plebiscite and uses that as an example. But that was then taken by other Spaniards in the delegation to say that this was a, a devious manoeuvre by me behind their backs to, um, you know, hide this untruth mm. and to get... Now, I was hiding it in the full public view because the report that they were quoting from was published nine months ago, has been on the committee website since then and was the topic of discussion. But they still, by might of being the bigger groups, managed to persuade the Libe chair to get that statement withdrawn. And actually, the statement was the best part of the report mm. because we've discussed it here before. When we do reports... We have to work with other groups to try and get points of agreement. And obviously to do that, then everybody's given up something and you're watering down mm. where you started out from. And we're happy to do that. I mean, in fairness, I colleagues in the doll would know I'm pretty easy going. I would be uncompromising in my principles. But I recognise when we have the numbers 
to lose something, I let it go and I, I would always be pleasant and accommodating in my dealings. But we've had to put up with nothing, only nonsense from one of the groups in particular uh, about this report. We, you know, made the consensual point. I gave up some huge issues like they couldn't even agree to have Julian Assange named in the report. I mean, seriously, this is about fundamental rights in the European Union 2018, 2019. The biggest press freedom case in the history of a generation and the extradition of Assange, which sets such an important um, precedent for press freedom and they couldn't have him named. And one of the excuses of one of the groups was, well, I, I don't want anybody named in a report. Um, I said, well, I'm sure he wouldn't want to be named in it either, but there actually isn't anybody else. If you know somebody else who's been extradited um, <laughs> to America know. facing 175 years for journalism in Europe, by all means, we'll add them in as well, like, you know, or even anyone facing two years. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous, you know. Then they wouldn't mention any countries either, which says to me, it says it all. This is an institution here that's so far up its own backside and its own little world, which mm. just struck me that it was so different from the Irish. They're sick morning, noon and night mentioned in Venezuela, Iran, Syria, wherever, China, Russia, their particular favourites, Belarus, they talk about fecking anywhere, but then you try and raise an issue of um, fundamental rights abuses in Europe, of which there are loads and they don't want to know, and their Spaniards are particularly poor, because if you mention anything about self-determination, about Catalonia, they see red, even mm. when you're only saying, which says to me, you know, these are is that how they're going to deal with progress, to shut discussion down, to censor, to deny? These people are, are reprehensible. Well, that's even when it's restricted to the police violence, even. They don't yeah. even want to talk about that. That just didn't happen. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah, so yeah. It's not even about the self-determination thing. No, no, no that's not the, it's question, totally not. You know? that's, it, it, absolutely. Yeah. And the point in the report was just the fact that parliamentarians were in prison for 10 years for holding a plebiscite. Now, mm. seriously... If that isn't an attack on, on democratic rights, I don't know what is, like, yeah. you know, um, but mad stuff. I mean, as I said, the, the ridiculous nature of it, that they wouldn't allow any reference to countries being named, so much so that we had to, we changed the LGBT free zones, which operate in one country in Europe only, Poland, everybody knows it. They didn't want that in the report, we said so. So the report condemns LGBTI free zones in one member state. Like, so they wouldn't even have the member states. Now, some of the groups said they would because there's yeah. precedence there, but no, a majority didn't want that. They wouldn't even allow a country to be mentioned if we were referencing the point by a study or a UN report or another report that had the name of that country in the title. You couldn't even use that as a reference. So no. this is an annual rights report yeah. where you're not allowed to talk about no, things. No. So well, you can talk about them and we're all, we love fundamental rights. Yeah. They couldn't have enough of them all thrown in. But when you actually try to tie that to a reality that was happening in Europe for Roma women being segregated in maternity hospitals mm. in Bulgaria or people being battered on the streets of France by the police or Catalan parliamentarians in prison in Spain. Oh, well, we're not having that now. That mm. is an affront to the uh, rights yeah. of the people of Europe. And on that, like we've been trying here for a year to get Yemen discussed in the parliament and like just even to have a debate on it in a committee in, in the plenary, not even a report or anything. And it's not getting anywhere. Mm. There's not enough support for it. Uh, you'd swear it's just not happening the way it's going on. And it's been just blocked. So th this plenary we have next well, week, we were the closest we had to getting it on the agenda and still didn't make it. Well, so. one of the few times I've actually got to discuss it directly mm. in here uh, was a few days ago. Because I'm on the Arab Peninsula delegation, yeah. right? And that obviously includes Yemen. Um, but what they had was, it was about women's rights 
in the Gulf region, right? So they had a woman from Saudi Arabia, from Bahrain, from Kuwait, from uh, UAE, and from Qatar. Uh, five, there was five women uh, came with, with their stories, and they told us why uh, that the Gulf region is, without any shadow of a doubt, the best place in the world for a woman to live these days. You should all go. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. They're even letting them drive now, but some of them. Not all of them now, but some of them. But anyway, I said, right, okay, you've said that uh, the rights of all women must be considered and not just the few and that all women and all women in the Gulf region. I said, right, okay. I said, I actually agree with you. I said, but tell me this, I said. I said, uh, uh, let me put it to the, uh, the the two ladies from the UAE, I said, and from Saudi Arabia. Your two governments are bombing the living daylights out of Yemen. You're killing, you've killed over 100,000 women and children in Yemen. You've targeted their houses. You have targeted their water facilities. They, they had they had an outbreak of cholera where over a million people got cholera. And I said, you actually bombed the cholera treatment centre. Right? One of the biggest in, in Yemen. I said, you're, you, have, you have destroyed the water infrastructure. You have done everything to help them to die, I said, right? I said, how do you square that with your argument that you really care about women in the Gulf region. Tell me how you do that. Did they? For some, for some strange reason, <laughs> Sorry, they didn't actually yeah, reply to who me. Who were these women? They were just randomly selected. No, no, they were, they, they were all in positions. Uh, there were some of the leading women in government in these countries. Mm. They are actually in government of, mm-hmm. of some sort. I'm not sure. They, they all had different titles, right? But uh, they were all, um, you know, and... A couple of them were very impressive uh, to listen to, right? But I'm sorry, but um, Saudi Arabia and the UAE mm-hmm. are engaged in genocide in Yemen since 2015. And not only are, are the US complicit in it, but so are several member states, including France and the UK in particular. Mm-hmm. So the European Union doesn't want to talk about it because their own members are involved. I mean, we get it all the time on the Security and Defence Committee. People go, the gender balance here isn't very good. Could we have a woman general or we have to look at getting more women into our military? We should be... So every presentation, they have a big puss on them and it's one of the first things that a couple of them talk, we need more women in the military. No, we don't. We need less military. Yeah. Like, you know, it's absolutely ludicrous. And it's the same mantra that I put forward some woman from Saudi Arabia who's in a position of power and then we pretend that women in Saudi Arabia are we equal and then we turn a blind eye to what's going on in the likes of Yemen and it's the exact same mentality that they do with fundamental rights inside the union. You'd be sick listening to them, each mm. of them falling over them to do as many rights as possible, except when you compare it to the real world then, that's when the shutters go up and they don't want to know. They use it for their own political expediency, like, and it's, it's reprehensible. These people are despicable like in terms of how disconnected they are from reality and I find it really disappointing their lack of professionalism here I mean we're contemplating uh, taking legal advice against the parliament because of the sleight of hand that's been done 
But on the positive side, in our case, I mean, it's got the issue talked about. I mean, let's be honest about it. The statement that has been expunged. Nobody nor- normally reads these yeah. statements, but I can guarantee you now, uh, I'll be getting it translated into Catalan <laughs> and a couple of languages. The people all over Catalan are talking about the statement now. And that's even before we've had the discussion in the plenary. I'm going to make sure yeah. that it is. There's nothing that makes something more attractive than banning it. So yeah. I used to try that before years ago at books in Ireland and look where I got them. I think given that and given the manoeuvring, I'll actually be voting against the report yeah. pretty much unless all my amendments get passed or our amendments, which is just not going to happen, to be honest. Um, and I'd be encouraging others to do the same. I actually think now the biggest statement we can make is to have this report defeated as a two fingers to their lovely talk about fundamental rights and their complete contradiction to it in reality. So that's my goal, to have yeah. the daily report voted <laughs> down. I'll tell you next week when You're it the first MEP who wants your own report voted down, I think, I which is so which do. is good. Yeah. Like it shows yeah. you like you have yeah. some <laughs> clear red lines yeah. here and like if it's gone to shit, that's it. You know, yeah. like let's talk about another report that's coming up next week in the plenary. This will be voted on by all the MEPs. It's a, a, a report on stock take of the European elections. Now, they were obviously a while ago now, but it's uh, basically a reflection on what happened and what they're doing right and what they should do uh, for the next elections. Uh, There's some different ideas there that are quite controversial, such as having transnational lists. So instead of having Irish MEPs, you'd have EU-wide MEPs. So that's a big idea being floated around here. It's not very popular. Um, Some ideas about changing the whole idea that commissioners, there's one from each member state. That'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but the two of you have an amendment to this report as well. Um, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but I can read it out otherwise. Mm. Uh, it says, um, calls for the establishment of a free EU-wide public broadcast television channel dedicated to televising the live proceedings of the European Parliament in all the official languages of the Union to promote awareness of and engagement with the daily business of Parliament, strongly encourages national public channels to dedicate more primetime airtime to European issues on a regular basis and especially ahead of European elections. So what are you trying to do with that? Well, um, it's funny, but it actually kind of ties in with uh, something that myself and Claire were discussing on Monday at Security and Defence as well, which was disinformation, uh, which turned out to be a very hot debate. <laughs> and uh, we nearly got thrown out of the parliament, the two of us. If we'd been in the room physically, we probably might have been thrown out. Um, they didn't like what we had to say. But... Um, and you were slandered as being uh, oh, I was, you referred I was, I was, to as the bass guitarist in Jethro Tull, which was actually a compliment, really. Yeah, but Jethro Tull were pretty good, yeah. They were, yeah. yeah Good-looking lads. Well, there was oh, actually, yeah. there was um, <laughs> this, this guy, he makes a living out of uh, making up information about the Russians and, uh, you know... He just fabricates He's stuff. He's funded by an anti-Putin yeah. NGO kind of thing, but yeah. he, he sort and of poses as a, an investigative journalist. And he was actually, I mean... Yeah. He wouldn't have any credibility in the in the journalist world, right? And he was yeah. actually brought in as if he was an authority on something. Whereas in actual fact, he's an authority on nothing, only disinformation himself. Yeah. And they brought him this fellow in to tell us about disinformation, right? And this guy makes it up as he goes yeah. along. He's a CNN reporter, isn't he? Oh, he, no, he, he works for the Beast, the Daily, Daily Beast. Beast. Oh, right? yeah. I, oh, he's a horror scene yeah, anyway, right? Bad he's totally case. anti-Muslim, like he's appeared on oh, sort of uh, far-right stages and he's he's obsessed with Putin. He's been denigrated 
denigrating sort of uh, respected scholars in, on, on Russian relations. He calls them Putin agents and all of this. And he'd go at us saying to Mick, oh, why should I even listen to you sort of Jethro Tull basis when you even wanted to stop me coming here? You know, you were censoring me. Oh, because, but like that's just a bullying, inverted bullying. Like, you know, we as we made the point, we're totally open and always do have respectful discussions with people of a different political view. But that doesn't extend to inviting in people with no knowledge who just make crap up with no references that we should sit there and listen to that. It's nonsense. Yeah, I mean, listen, we've, I mean, we've been here 18 months in the parliament, right? And we have never objected yeah. to anyone coming in here before, right? And I mean, and we have, I mean, listen, this parliament is about 95% right wing in its members mm. and in the people that come before it. And uh, we don't, we're prepared to listen to everybody. And uh, I, I find it very interesting uh, to hear everyone's point of view because uh, it, it actually increases your knowledge anyway, even whether you agree with him mm. or not. But this guy is a complete fake, right? And yeah. we were just pointing that out. It, it was obviously a mistake to invite him yeah, in, right? And I don't think you knew what the, who they were inviting in. No. And we tried to point it out to him by write, writing to the Secretariat uh, for the Security and Defence Committee in advance just to highlight the fact that, listen, this is madness bringing this mm. fella, this fella is. Is a nutter like you know a nut job, but anyway, um, on on the with regard to the amendment that we have been, I mean, um, we're very conscious of the fact that it's actually becoming more and more difficult for people to get clean, straight, honest information. I mean, we've our own uh, state broadcaster at home, RTE, which you know, I mean, RTE uh, do some very good stuff, right? But when it comes to politics, right? I'm sorry now, but RTE will bat for the establishment morning, noon and night and it doesn't stand up to the powers that be. Mm. I mean, a real simple example of it is that it's been discussed in the last few days now again is the Children's Hospital uh, in Ireland, mm. which I, I spoke on on 12 occasions uh, in the three months before I got elected to Europe in the in the Irish stall, right? And I mean, RTE... There was really scant coverage of it. It was a horror scene what went on with the children's hospital. And I pointed out to them that this was a hospital that could have been built for around a billion. But I said it's probably going to cost something closer to 2.5 billion before they're done because they came up with a contract that was designed to make sure that everyone got buckets of extra money. Mm. It has to start with the main contractor who was going to get crazy money but because he was getting all the extras everybody else involved everybody including the people forming the contract everybody was going to get more right it is a complete scam the government i explained it to the government ministers now and in fairness they wouldn't have known anything about procurement mm. and it's obviously i came from the, the from the industry uh, i spent my, all my life in the industry right so i knew a little bit more about him about it than they did, and uh, also uh, I, w I had I was getting some excellent information from some of the top procurement people in the country, and I was I explained it all to them. No, no, their head was in the sand. They weren't going back. I actually got to, under an FOI. I got hold of the contract, and in the contract, it said that in the case of public disquiet. If there was issues around the contract, the government was at liberty to go back to the table and redo the contract, uh, even get a different a main contractor or the same one with a different contract. If there was probably disquiet, and I said, and I and and the 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 contractor who had the job would not be entitled to bring him to court under these conditions in the small print of the contract. And would they do it? 
No, because they didn't want the children's hospital work stopped, not happening, during the election, which was coming down the tracks. Mm. They didn't want it to be not going ahead. And I think it shows... Unbelievable. It is going to cost the Irish taxpayer at least a billion more than it should. And will anyone be held to account? The legal firms that were involved in setting up the contract, the, the, the civil servants who let them do it, the politicians who allowed it all to happen, will anyone be held to account? Mm. No. Well, they won't. And I mean, it was striking, like, in our time in the Dáil when you were doing that. I mean, the, the politicians would defer to you a bit. I mean, it was different when you made the points because they knew that you knew what you were talking about coming from a built-in background. So there was a kind of a respectful acknowledgement of the points that you were making. But there was an awareness of taking that on board and actually acting upon it. And the reason for that, I think, so the politicians have to take responsibility for that, is on the one hand, they have a Conservative civil service there advising them background who don't want their, their views challenged. But on the other side, they have a media who don't join the bloody dots and go after the information mm. that you had given them. And that was supposed to be the role of a critical media to hold those in power to account. Mick was trying to do it at the time. He had all that information there but they didn't take it up and run with it. And one of the reasons why the idea of an Oireachtas television is there is to put the debates that are here to make them more real for people, to make them more. We found Oireachtas television did play an important role in Ireland and it would be something here. But I mean, these clowns here now think their problems are going to be sorted out by transnational lists. I tell you, yeah. <laughs> some of the people on, and from the and other countries here, they won't be voting for and them. And one of the great yeah. arguments about Oireachtas TV at home is that what they did was they covered what people said that day in the Parliament. Mm. Right? As it turned out, myself and Claire, because we were two of the more regular speakers, we were, we were on it a lot. And when we canvassed for the European elections, right, the amount of people that said to both of us, oh, I see you on television last night, or I see you on television last week, or I seen you talking about this, or you talking about that. And it was always on a Rockless TV. It wouldn't be on primetime because, well, they'd hardly ever ask me on anyway. I said. think they're missing as well. Like, they think that they can have these technical fixes to the problem of why the citizens of Europe are not engaged with the European Union. But that's not going to be fixed by having a list where you can vote for no. Manfred Weber, the leader of the EPP or whatever, or where one of their ideas was that you have to have equal numbers of men or and women. But sure, we don't have list systems. Yeah. in Ireland and we don't, don't want, want them like you know either, what I mean yeah. so uh, we don't want that so th those quick fixes the reason people are disorientated and not confident in the European Union is because it's neoliberal and it's not uh, helping to improve their lives and they know it's been run in the interests of big business and unless they address that yeah. they're going to have and a the, problem. The thing is nobody knows what happens here. I hadn't a clue before I came here like you don't see well, neither did we. You, yeah, you don't <laughs> see what happens in the European Parliament and I think you're not expecting there to be a big television reality show or anything where people are really interested or anything but at least that people have a bridge to the European Parliament that's not filtered through prime time yeah. or filter through the late late yeah. or whatever do you know there was some coverage at home as well of the cost it's going to be to Ireland to pay our bit in the European peace facility misnamed worst name ever the EU or the European war facility more like it uh, more money on that but 
I was asking the general, or the admiral on Monday, he's from the EU military staff and we have six Irish Defence Forces personnel working here in Brussels with the EU military staff. And I was kind of saying to him, well, look, at, is there any special allowances made for them considering our constitution says that we uphold, you know, we, we want the peaceful settlements of disputes. We don't want um, militarism and this kind of thing. Do you make any allowances for the lads or, you know, what's the story? And he was succeeded to tell us then about how the lads were brilliant. They were a full part of the team. They were actually the most important ones now as they were the only English-speaking ones and he loved to see Irish fellas involved and uh, he, he, they didn't, never said to him they had any problem doing anything. They were asked on the, you know, military capability end of things, you know. So complete contradiction there to the Irish government. They're ploughing in as one of the team. And the whole thing is about building a European identity because they've said that the sort of threats and the attitudes to militarism are different in the EU countries and one of the ways in which they're breaking them down is by having all these Defence Forces personnel working together under the one umbrella. It creates this group think and breaks down barriers so that we're all on the same page. Mother of God. Mm. And can you imagine that Irish people at home are actually paying towards this now? Do mm. they really know what they're paying for? They're mm. paying for war. They're paying for the expansion of the profits of the, uh, the arms industry. It's absolute nonsense. Mm. Yeah, and I'm learning more and more about where our money is going in terms of the underdevelopment of Africa. I'm reading the book by Walter Rodney, the How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. Um, amazing book if you haven't read it yet. Um, but like this, the things we know about already, the post-colonialism, the trade deficits, all this kind of stuff. But then there's the fisheries, which I said I'd talk about this week as well, how European fleets are off on the coast he everywhere. still eats them though. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, about how our resource use and everything is all coming from extraction from from the Sahel region as well. Um, and like we have an EU Africa strategy as well. And this is from the commission. It's geopolitical commission trying to build partnerships all in inverted commas there. Um, but like it's really about trying to maintain this relationship of extraction from with Africa. It's also looking even at energy. It's about trying to expand the grid as well, the whole PCIs into the North Africa to be able to expand into solar. It's not about the people living in the continent at all. It's not about what people want there. It's all about European capitalist interests in the end of the day. Well, look, so, I mean, we're, we're probably at, we're running out of time now, right? But yeah. just uh, I got... Uh, at the Foreign Affairs Committee today, we actually had a discussion on Ethiopia. And you're going to, you'll be reading more about Ethiopia on, on your uh, newspapers uh, in the next few weeks. A war has literally started there, right? Um, it's just, it, you know, there's... What's going on there, right? There, there's a guy in 29... Last year, 2018... There was a prime minister put in there on a temporary basis called Abiy Ahmed, right? And he was made, he had been a minister and they made him prime minister because himself and the dictator in Eritrea got together and worked out a peace deal. In 2019, Abiy Ahmed got the Nobel, won the Nobel Peace Prize for this, mm. right? Well, two weeks ago, he started bombing a part of his own country where he doesn't have support, right? And it's it's an area called Tigray in Ethiopia. Ethiopia now is the mm. second most populated country in the whole of Africa. There's over over 110 million people living mm. in Ethiopia, right? And this fella now is running it. And he, he won the Nobel Peace Prize last year. And last week, the UN asked him to stop bombing and start uh, peaceful negotiations. No, nope, not interested. 
not interested. Mm. He has Eritrea now working with him and they're coming at at, at, at this region called Tigray uh, who are a diff- different ethnic group, right, as well, right? And they're coming at him from both sides. They just want to fucking wipe them out. Mm. And they're starting out, they're, they're already attacking the water, water infrastructure there, right? They're targeting civilians. They're targeting civilian infrastructure. I mean, this is actually a war crime, mm. right? But do you know what? Behind all this, right, which, and n- n- people didn't want to know about it at the debate today, right? Ethiopia was getting too friendly with the Chinese, and this guy is going to move it back towards Western influence, away from China. That's part of the plan. Mm. The, the the Beast Prize was literally organised for this fella to make him look good. This fella has... There was, and, and he was put in as an interim leader by an international uh, coalition of countries on the condition that he have elections in 2019. Yeah. Uh, he cancelled them. This guy's never been elected. He's a dictator now. And we already have had a dictator uh, in Eritrea. And these two dictators have got together and they've started bombing this region. And... I actually had to listen to a fella from EPP today say, well, hold on a minute now. Maybe he's right to be bombing this place. Who yeah. are these people that he's bombing? What? Yeah. Yes, that's what he yeah, said. Yeah. Right? Just, and, and the UN wanting uh, peace talks started, right? Which is, and they're right. Oh, mother of God. You wouldn't be well. Uh, I think that's the episode <laughs> today is about how this place can be so sickening and yeah. really just make you go absolutely mad yeah it makes you sick to the teeth really it surely does uh, we'll finish off with a little touch on touching on a topic we've uh, discussed before but just to mention it because next week we're going to be voting again on this lead bullets objection now lead bullets we're sick again of lead bullets because we're getting loads of emails about them um, so to re- refresh your memories, we voted on this in the Environment Committee a while back. It's an objection about the Commission finally doing something good to ban the use of the uh, lead bullets in wetlands, only in wetlands, very restricted ban, you could say. And this is, of course, a non-threshold neurotoxic substance and it's millions of birds being killed with this and our wetlands being polluted and it gets into our food really is just awful and I don't know why it's even there in the first place we should have a total lead bullet ban what's really disheartening is that um, there's a lot of disinformation here as well right Uh, like for example there was confusion over what is actually a waterway created confusion though it's oh yeah yeah, manufactured absolutely manufactured right I mean the point is that lead bullets are People are looking to ban lead bullets only over waterways where over a million birds die each year in Europe, right? In in waterway areas, right? And they're not dying from being shot. These are ones that die from actually eating the lead bullets that fall to ground in the area, right? And human beings eat some of these birds who have consumed this lead maybe a month or two earlier. And that's poisoning the human being that eats them, right? Now, it's not banning hunting, right? You can argue, that's an argument for another day, right? Mm. I'm, I'm only saying I only want to ban the use of lead... Poisonous bullets. <laughs> of, of, of lead yeah. pellets over waterways, right? And there's a huge campaign, a real pushback by the gun lobbyists, right? And they're saying that... Uh, what's a waterway? 
and they've, they're trying to make out that if it rains during the night and if there's a puddle of water in the farmer's yard, then that's a waterway. Well, that's actually not true, right? And uh, that is just scaremongering. It is completely untrue. And member states will actually be allowed to visit the area themselves, visit the whole concept of what is a real waterway. And a waterway can, has to be an area that's of... that's. Uh, internationally recognised mm. as mm. a waterway for birds, yeah. right? Where and it's nothing to do with a pool in a farmer's yard, but that's what's going on. I think it's the precedent they're afraid of, you know, that if you search regulating hunting, then that it's this, the beginning of the end for them. I'd love to think that that was the case. Yeah. I'm not so sure that that actually is the commission's agenda, but I think that's why they're being so vociferous in their kickback is they don't want any change. They want to, but they're yeah, well, they changing on them. So okay. tough. I mean, yeah. I'm not campaigning for, oh, no, I know you're uh, not. Yeah, yeah. for a, a ban on hunting, right? But it's not the issue. But, but, that's but, but, but I am, I am campaigning yeah. on banning yeah. uh, the use of lead over waterways. That's killing over a million birds every year in Europe. And, you can hunt without lead pellets. So you'll see this vote uh, next week. Um, and that's it. I think we've talked about a load of things that has <laughs> been happening in the past while. And we'll have another episode next week. We'll see how Claire's report goes down. Um, yes, and we'll he- hopefully it will. And uh, that's it. Thanks for listening to episode 31. Like, share, subscribe and enjoy your day. Ciao, ciao.